say something that I don't have to say, and I was trying to be more deliberate this evening, so I'm mean, not even going to say it. Don't even bring it up, Paul. Just forget about it. Let's go on, okay? It's probably a good thing, but let's don't waste our time if it's okay with you. Uh, John 15, did I mention that? John 15. I want you to hang your ribbon there. By the way, if you ever get your Bible recovered, if you'll tell the old boy that does it or the gal that does it, stick me an extra ribbon or two in there. Well, they can put a whole handful in there for nothing. And so then you can have several of them. I'm writing you a couple of text up here on the board. Because uh, we're going to go these here just directly. Oh, I don't know. Verse 1, maybe 4 through 6 and about 19 or so. Now this might be, any of that might be off a little bit, but it'll get you on the right page, I think. And as we're dealing with here, <coughs> as, as I've said before, as we're dealing with the Gospel of John, you can take a text and you can just go verse by verse by verse through the text. Already you've broken it up into verses when you do that. So I'm encouraging you as you're reading it, uh, <coughs> Matter of fact, if you find one of these at a garage sale or something, get a Bible that doesn't have the verses in it. This tells you every once in a while where you are. Now, I'm not saying do that when you're teaching somebody or when you're teaching class or something. I'm talking about when you're reading. Read, read the letter as it was written. Catch the idea of the letter. And anything that impedes on you having a flow of the thought coming to you. If you don't read that well and you can't catch the flow, good. You can get Bible apps that caught absolutely nothing and some professional reader will read it to you. Now they might not have as clear Texican as I have as far as accent, it may be a little harder for you to catch the words they're saying, but you'll get most of it. Let it flow, let it flow. And so, as we've gone through the text here, uh, and we haven't done that just in a verse-by-verse -verse basis, but I'm trying to give us some framework, number one, for the Gospel of John, but number two, in regard to how we do Scripture. One of the biggest things, one of the biggest things in the Gospel of John has been for us, what's one of the biggest things in the Gospel of John been for us? What's something we've really underlined? Something we paid real close attention to. I'll give you a hint, Chucker, with seven major ones. That's right. The miracles. Are the miracles a part of God's message? Yes. Yes. They might not be all of it. And you know what? If you'll study them long enough and hard enough, they might just be. I don't know if he's got a lot to say that are not in those miracles. Maybe I don't understand them well enough. But those miracles, those miracles unpack major principles about God and about his son. 
Pay attention to that sort of thing. What's the worst thing? What's the worst thing we can do with Jesus? Go back over to John chapter 1. Long there about verse 10 or 11. John chapter 1. I'll wait till I hear a few pages quit turning. John chapter 1. Because everything he's going to say to us, he's going to say in those first 18 verses. I'm trying to flesh a little bit of that out tonight. So, long there about verse 10 or so. Though, he, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Well, he didn't come to the world. No, he did too. He did too. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, he'll say in verse 14. No, he came here. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own, they would not receive him. They, did, did he not do the miracles? In the midst of those who were his own, that's the Jewish nation, by the way. No, he did what nobody else could do. When you reject the miracles of Jesus, this has so many modern applications. Everybody wants Jesus to be, oh, he's a real nice guy. He's good, he's a good teacher and he's a great philosopher and everything, but he didn't feed 15,000 people with two sardines and five tortillas. When you're going to reject the miracle... You're rejecting the message because there's not a message from God that Christianity is a, a code or system of religion and morality whereby you help yourself and you bootstrap yourself up. You'll know when you can help yourself, when you can put a chair in the center of the room, reach underneath the chair and lift yourself about three feet off the ground, hold yourself there. Now, when you can do that, I'll listen to what you got to offer yourself. But until you can do that, you can't help yourself. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And so these miracles that he gives us about Jesus and this message he gives us about Messiah, we don't want to miss it. I don't, I've, been, I've been listening to somebody read and talk about, I guess, the first thing he did in Cana of Galilee when he changed water to wine since nine months before I was born. And it was a little longer after that till they taught me English and I could understand what somebody was saying. It was a little longer after that till I paid attention to what somebody was saying. And I guess if I lived to be 100, that might be one of the last things I listened to. But I ain't gonna quit listening to it. Because every time I listen to it, what does it do with my mind? Remember this morning, what we talked about? How long does it take to change somebody's mind? Just a few seconds. Evidently, you can get $30,000 or $100,000 out of somebody's bank account in 15 or 20 seconds. That's what the advertising world believes. Or you can get $10,000 out of nearly everybody's. No, that's how they, they, they don't do that because it doesn't work. It does to work. And I know we want to have these long periods of time where we got a nice glass of cool water and the lighting's just right and nobody's bothering us, nobody interrupts us and we just open the word of God and we just go into this 
examining, this meditative state, and it's just we're understanding and we're going, I, I understand that. And if you get those, and you get those in sections of three hours at a time, before God, be faithful with it and just get all over it. In the meantime, you can take little tiny indiscretionable moments of time. You can take 30 to 20 seconds at a whack, 90 seconds just on a real occasion once you develop the discipline, and you can consider these things and what God is saying and what God is offering and who Jesus is. It doesn't take 20 seconds to change your day because that's how long it takes to change your mind. And that's the first thing before you become a Christian you got to do. Acts 2.38, what's the first thing he told them to do? Is anybody going to become a Christian unless they repent? Change your mind. If you put it in English letters, it's meta, and I guess that would be noise, close as I could get it, I guess. It's compound word. Not all compound words do that in Greek just like they do English, but sometimes compound word means just what it says. It's a change of mind. Now, nearly every Bible class teacher I had growing up said, repenting is when you're headed down the road and then you turn around. That's not true at all. Turning around in the road is the fruit of repentance. It's not repentance. Repentance is you're driving north down the road. This is not the direction I want to go at all. What I just do? Change my mind. I wasn't going north on accident. I was going north because that's the way to go. And I changed my mind. And when I came to myself, when I came to my senses, when it dawned on me, when I changed my mind, then I started trying to find a brake pedal or a brake handle or a spot pullover. And that change of mind produced fruit. And I turned around and then I started going south. So there's all kinds of stuff available here for us, okay? We're going to read a little. Well, you know what? We're going to come over here with me to Deuteronomy. We'll just start there. We'll come back to John 15. I'm just underlying to us, as is, is we're going through this, one of the reasons why I'm underlining how to read Scripture and that we think about it and, and a point, let me make this clear. I kind of left this hanging. Has anybody in here ever practiced meditation? That's an Eastern deal, primarily. That's an Oriental deal. It's Eastern, it's not Western mindset. It's a discipline, brothers and sisters, and I suggest we adopt it. Because Psalm 1 said there's great blessing in it. Blessed is the man who meditates upon his word day and night. He's not walking around day and night with a Bible. He'd be running and stuff, couldn't do anything. But he's thinking about the simple truths of God's word 
No matter what he's doing, he's got that working. And sometimes he stops what he's doing, even if it's just for a few seconds. You stop what you're doing and you just consider deeply. Consider deeply what God's offering. What is he offering? See, we sweep all this off the table real quick. Let's get down here to what we do. Let's stop that. God's not an American company about to lose out. God's eternal. And if he says what he says, he says it to change our mind. How's it going to change our mind? We don't think about it. We don't need to get busy doing it. We need to get busy thinking about it. And if we think about it and it changes our mind, then put your seatbelt on. Put your seatbelt on because it's scary to death know what you do then. It'll scare us to death to figure out what on earth might we do. There's no telling. Because we think about him very much, we're going to fall in love with him. You just do. You, you think about him, we don't know anybody else like him. And so there's this connection with God's purpose and our thoughts and I know we didn't, I know nobody taught us that. Well, okay, that doesn't make it right. We've got to learn to meditate. Just sit down, take, and, and you don't need three hours. You need 30 seconds or 90 seconds. If you can find a quiet place, do it there. But if you can't, it's pretty quick once you get in the habit of it, once you sow the thought of it, once you reap an action from it, and once you turn that action into a habit, you can just turn the world off. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'd be over here talking to me, telling me all kind of important things. You know what I heard, Al? I didn't even know anybody was talking. I try not to do that with her. But if Jesus is talking, I'm going to take him. Which consider what he says. It's very important. Look over here with me in Deuteronomy 18. I think I put 18 and 19 up there. Uh, we'll back up to 15. Well, let's back up to 14. That's a paragraph in mine. Deuteronomy 18. The nations you will dispossess. That's these people who have given themselves to gross idolatry. They're opposing God. They're creating themselves as God and turning, turning their desires into their own God. And they've rejected that. And God's sending Israel to judge them, seven nations. And by judge them, I mean wipe them out. The nations you will dispossess uh, listen to those who practice sorcery and divin divination. They didn't get it off the internet, but if they'd had the internet, that's what they'd been looking for. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Speaking of what you listen to, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet 
like me from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. Right there, Moses tells Israel, not us, he told ancient Israel, 15th century BC, the law that God is giving us through me, the words I'm speaking, the things I'm doing, God's message through me, God's not through. This is not enough. This is not the end of God's purpose. It's not the end of God's message. This is not enough. Why on earth are people trying to go back to it in droves? They've turned it into something that appeals to their flesh. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, that's the Hebrew word for Sinai, on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. He's killing us here, Moses. You talk to us, we could take that. That's what they said. And the Lord said to me, what they say is good, Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And look here, I will put my words in his mouth. That's kind of the definition of a prophet. He has God's word in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. It's just like God's talking. That's not going to scare everybody. We did that at the mountain. That, not this time. This different covenant, this different message. Listen to this, verse 19. I mean, this is a sober warning right here. If anyone does not listen to my words, my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him into account. Okay? Come over with me to John 15. I guess I did this in reverse order. I couldn't make up my mind. I'm just trying to approach it in maybe a way you haven't because I want you to hear it. Because you can just slip over this. You can just slip over this. But it's here. John chapter 15, verse 18. We already discussed the first 17 verses previously. 15, verse 18. He's talking to these apostles now, and they're scared to death. Remember chapter 14? And he's tried to ease their concern and said, trust, you trust in God, trust also in me. He, I know you don't understand. I've been speaking to you, but the Spirit's going to come and He's going to bring you the message and He's going to guide you into all truth and He's going to teach you all things. Don't, don't fall out here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's very graphic, strong language. Hate. 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 Is that a big word in our present day dialogue? Hate. Yeah. Is the world got a formula to rid us of it? It doesn't work, but they got one and they're legislating more and more all the time. 
what they call hate. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Here's the deal about the world, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as your own, as its own. If the world guided your mind and the world guided your thoughts and you belong to the world, then there wouldn't be any conflict between you and the world. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why is the world hating them? Why is the world hating Jesus? All he's doing is showing compassion. All he's doing is showing his identity. Yeah, but not just the things he does. It's more than that. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. Is this what Moses talked about? You listen to every single word he says. You listen to my word. God said, you listen to my word I've put in his mouth. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you uh, they will treat you this way because of my name. Why, the, why does the world hate Jesus? It's not because his name is J-E-S-U-S in English. What does he mean, my name? It's authority. The world will tolerate the authority of Jesus as long as it's just showing compassion and benevolence and those kind of things. And even that irritates them and they hate it sometimes uh, because they can't take credit for it. And it's not on their terms. But when he starts having authority, they're through with it. You know why the world rejects the miracles of Jesus? Guess what the miracles say? They're not stupid. They know. The miracles show his authority. He's not from around here. When he's healing a man that was born blind, he ain't from around here. He ain't going to live life on their terms. He's not going to foster what they're going to foster. He's not going to love what they're going to love because he is who he is. They don't like that. They treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Why are they going to hate you? Why are they going to persecute you? Because they are ignorant of God. Ignorant of God. These guys, these guys who studied the Bible for a living, who have memorized the entire word of God, and they're ignorant of who? God, God. They pride themselves on submitting to what Moses said. Remember chapter five, they're gonna kill Jesus. Moses, we know God talked to Moses. As for you, we don't know where you come from. And then the guy born blind and he gives him sight and he said, this is amazing to me. 
He did something the devil himself can't do. There can't nobody but God Almighty do what he did, and y'all can't still figure out where he's from. Really? That's not a failure to meditate, is it? That's just rebellion, isn't it? That's just arrogance, isn't it? Because there's no way they could manipulate what Jesus was doing and turn it out so they could be in control of it and they could get credit for it. And they hate him for that. And they are, they are the people on the planet that God's in covenant with. And their arrogance is appalling even to pagans. I find that interesting. It's sad, but it's true. If I had not come and spoken to them, really this is the part why we came over here tonight. Because I don't want you to read this and go, what on earth? People have all kinds of things. If I had not come and spoken to them, when he spoke to them, was he speaking God's word? And that's just fine until they what? Rejected it. If I had not come and spoken to them, just like Moses said I would, and God said through Moses I would, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. You mean they wouldn't have been arrogant without Jesus saying something? They's already arrogant before Jesus ever born. Wouldn't be guilty of what sin? What was the sin they're guilty of? What did Moses tell them you better not do? You better not reject God's message. He didn't say you better understand every, every bit of it the first time you hear it. He said you better not reject it. You better listen to it. Listen to it. Think about it. Let it direct your mind. Let it direct your thoughts. In, in very simplest form, God's message for us in Jesus, where would it direct us? Away from sin, away from self, to him, wouldn't it? What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. They didn't deny his miracles. They couldn't deny them. They were undeniable. If there was any way at all they could have denied any of his miracles, they would have denied them. It was undeniable. And I don't know. I'm not smart enough. Tim, you got a good word for unrejectable? <laughs> they couldn't deny it, but they doggone sure could reject it, and they did too. He did stuff only God could do, and they said, well, devil did that. Jesus said, you won't get over that one, Matthew 12. Okay. Uh, if I had not come and spoken to them, verse 22, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin, the sin of rejecting him and rejecting God's message. He who hates me hates my father as well. They hated him because he wasn't from around here. He wasn't from them. He wasn't of them. They hated him for that. If I had not done among them what no one else did, 
they wouldn't be guilty of sin. The sin of rejection, the sin of arrogance, which is like divination, like rebellion, like idolatry, 1 Samuel 15. Remember when Saul got mad, he just going to go ahead without the priest, Samuel? I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I appreciate the insight and all that. I'll just approach God on my own. And he said, ooh-wee. Mm-mm. No, sir. If I had not done among them what no one else would do, could do, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles. That's what he means by doing what no one else could do. Now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. They would not tell you they hated the father, Yahweh. Jesus said, you do too. Because his, my words are his words. My message is his message. My miracles are his work. They've hated both me and my father. But this was to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. In Psalm 35, come over here with me, Psalm 35. A Psalm of David, Psalm 35. Now, who was David? What office did he hold for God? I know he was a boy shepherd that killed a giant because he was just busy doing what his daddy told him to do and operating by the power of God. Oh, he was king, wasn't he? Every king Israel ever had was compared or examined and weighed the, the scale of justice for every king after that. He either rejected the ways of his father David or he walked in the ways of his father David. You read the kings. That's what, they, that's what they're measured by. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's king. Contend, O Lord, with with those who contend with me. If you were to oppose God's king, Psalm 2, you were opposing God's purpose. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue, who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Verse 4, may those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them since they hid their net for me without cause. And without cause, they dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their own ruin. Let's skip over to verse 19. Let those who gloat over me who are my enemies without cause, let not those who gloat over me who are my enemies without cause, let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink their eye as they scheme against him. We don't need his message. 
We don't need his power. We don't need his person. We'll deal with God on our own. You can't skip. You can't skip God's person. You can't skip God's king. You can't skip God's Messiah. You can't skip his Christ. You can't skip the words he says. You can't skip the work he does. Because in the words he said and in the work that he did and for this firsthand for the Jewish nation, he came to that which was his own. He did the miracles. He brought the message. He did the teaching. And yet in general, his own would not receive him. Yet. Yet. Besides but, that might be one of the biggest three-letter words in all Bible. I'll take those two as being bigger than sin. Yet, to all those who received him. Now you see why we talk about his message. Now you see why we talk about his miracles. Now you see why we talk about his person. Now this is it, brothers and sisters. I'm not through learning about this. I can't let go of this. This is it. God hadn't got anything else to say. There's not a new revelation. There's nothing else coming. None of the apostles by the spirit of Jesus Christ sent in his authority and Jesus Christ himself, none of them ever said. Yet there is one to come. Mm -mm. No, he's it. He is the one who was to come. Our message now is he's coming back. There's not more message He's just not through and doing everything he's got to do. He came to do away with sin, and he did it. He came to bring life, and he brought it. He's coming back now to bring salvation to those who wait for him. He will appear a second time, the Hebrew writer said, not to deal with sin. He already dealt with sin. He's going to bring salvation. They hated me without reason. It wasn't logical. I didn't do anything wrong. They just hated me. They hated me because I didn't belong to them and I wasn't of them and they couldn't manipulate me. And when the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, remember he just said, when the counselor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. They have been eyewitnesses of everything that God had to say through what, God, through what Jesus did and through what Jesus said and through what Jesus taught. And so all of, all of this and the thing is, the world is still the world. And as trenched as these people were in a religion that was given directly from God, being Judaism, they rejected what God was offering. Now, we're not Jews living in the first century. But we are sinful people. And we are not of this world, but we do still live in this world. And we are tempted to do God's things the world's way. 
on a daily basis. I am and you are too. And I'm very, very simply, I know I've been emphatic about this and probably I went on too far. I'm just trying to underline the importance of us considering what God is telling us in the person Jesus Christ, in what he taught, and in what he did. And it is, it is practical, and it is powerful, and there's, there's many things that we just won't catch at a superficial glance. We're going to have to look at it. We're going to have to think about it. We're going to have to consider it. We're not, we're not making stuff up. We're considering it. We're meditating on it. What manner of love has the Father lavished on us that we should be called his children? John said, and that is what we are. When we, when we come to God with a long list of things that he needs to take care of in this temporary world according to a, a, an appropriate time manner that we have set in our minds, why don't we just acknowledge that first? Lord, I've got a whole bunch of things I've got you to deal with, and most of it's got to do with, with uh, money and possessions and stuff like that. And, but first thing, Father... I want to confess to you that you paid the price for me to enter your presence right now. And not only that, Father, but you paid the price. Yet to all received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You sacrificed your son, Father. You shed his blood through the help of the Jews and, and with the help of wicked men. You, you put him to death. He offered himself. He was the great high priest, and he offered himself as a sacrifice to give you the right to call me a child, and that is exactly in the blood of Jesus, Father, what I am. And I, your child, come to you. Confess that. Meditate on that. And then go ahead and pull out the long list of worldly things that God needs to do to satisfy your desires at any given point. I would to God, brother, I had to say, I know to do that. I've known for 20 years probably to do that. I've been doing that for 20 years. But every now and then, I'm just a people. I never do run 98.6, about 97, but 97 degree temp, you know. I get sidetracked, I get led astray. I don't want, I don't want Chuck going hungry. He is hungry, I want to feed him. He's hungry and I got food. There's an opportunity for me to show compassion and love and feed him. But there are things more important than that. He gets sick or hurt, I want to help him. But there's things more important than that in there. And those things don't, don't penetrate my mind having a worldly point of view and listening to the world talk. You can't shut the world off. It's going to keep on talking. 
but we can tune it out. And when we tune in to him, it's the same thing that happened this morning when y'all gave me control of your minds. All I got to do is open the book, open it to the Gospel of John. You don't have to dive into Leviticus right now. Open it to the Gospel of John and let God tell you some truth, some absolute truth about Jesus. How powerful he is, how life-giving he is. All those miracles that he did, brothers and sisters, every one of them just simply make the point, he has the authority, he paid the price, he has the power, he has the desire to give you life. Not physical existence, he already did that. Life eternal. What does that look like? To bring you to God. And in his blood, he has brought us to God. We're not somewhere else. Charlie, that's where we are right now. We're either in his blood or we're not. In the blood of Jesus, where are we? With the Father. You can be with the Father and be playing around with something on the floor if we want to. Or we could be with the Father and be absolutely in awe of his presence and his power. Be encouraged by his promises. We just have to choose to go there. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. I don't, we just don't have the potential, Father, to, to reject the miracles of Jesus as things that we've seen and then credit them to something else. The, the Jews that saw him do those miracles did that. We, we don't have that capacity. But we do have the capacity, Father, to read of their reality and just to let it slip through our fingers. We do have the capacity as sinful people because that's what our flesh desires. We'll just take the commands Jesus gives through the apostles and we'll approve ourselves to God by what we do. And that'll never happen. It's not encouraging, it's frustrating and defeating and discouraging. We beat ourselves up when we fail. I understand that, Father. I'm probably worse about that than anybody. And the only hope, the only victory I've ever had over that, Father, is when I willingly choose to meditate upon and consider, most especially at those points in life, consider who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he has offered and what he has brought about in regard to my relationship with you. The only thing, Father, we have to fear is that which is greater than he is, and there's nobody or nothing on that list. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for working the, the sin of the people who rejected him and rebelled against him and, and ignorantly hated him and you both. And you took, Father, what they did to him. You took what his enemies did to him, and you worked in that to accomplish your eternal purpose. You took what the 
what the devil thought would win the day, the death of Jesus, and you actually use that to bring about life, life eternal. Jesus proved his power and authority over this world, and he paid the price to have power and authority, Father, over our lives, over our minds. Help us just to consider him to consider his great love and faith in you, to consider, Father, your great love for us and what you have given us in your Son. Bless our consideration of him, our consideration of his message, Father. I don't, I don't think any of us who, who really understand who he is we're not going to forget that, Father. But the world has the potential to talk us out of it in little ways every day. Help us, Father, to have the discipline to consider you. And as we live life in this world, in a world that is never quiet or never silenced, help us, Father, to remember you. Help us to remember what you've given. Help us to remember what Jesus has done. And help us to remember, Father, that he, as king, has all authority. He has the Christ, the Messiah. He has all authority, Father, over sin, over death itself, even, Father, over hell. Help us to long for him and look for him and bless, Father, Bless the time we spend in your presence. Bless the time we spend, Father, in thought of him and help it to penetrate our mind and our hearts so that we see, Father, hardship in the world and misinformed, confused, lost people, Father, very differently. Help us to see, help us to see those around us with the power, the authority, the great love and compassion of our Savior firmly planted in our mind and in our hearts. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us to do that, Father, with gratitude in our hearts toward you. Bless our study of your word. Bless our time, Father, spent in your intimate presence in our prayer. We love you, Father, for all you've done, and we thank you for what you're doing for us in Jesus. We ask you to glorify yourself. It's our earnest prayer through him who bled and died and intercedes now on our behalf. We pray these things. Amen. So very simply, I rattled on and on. All I'm trying to do is encourage you this week. Take a few little seconds at a time. Take 30 seconds at a time. Take 90 seconds at a time. Consider some of the simple things we've looked at in the Gospel of John. Realize that in any, any of those things that John offers us about Jesus, there, there is rescue and redemption and direction and motivation and encouragement and, and help for the little things we face all day, every day in this world. God can't love you more than he does to give his own son. And his son didn't stay dead. He is the resurrection. And he defeated death and the grave and hell itself on your behalf. 
And he can't have more power or authority than he has. He has all of power and authority. And he sits enthroned, not to show off, to help you and to help me. God would never, never refuse to help those who seek him, nor would we. If you're seeking him, you need his love or encouragement, a hug on the neck or our prayers, anything. If you need anything from us tonight, you can let us know now while we stand and while we sing.